When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to your Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Now in the interest of full disclosure, this podcast was actually recorded before the Browns traded Baker Mayfield. It was supposed to run on Thursday, uh, but then the Browns traded Baker Mayfield. We had to push it back with our emergency pod. We did our Baker Mayfield 12 uh, most significant games. Go back and listen to that. That was a fun pod, by the way. Uh, But anyway, this was supposed to be released before the Baker Mayfield trade. It was not. I don't think that affects anything you're going to hear here, but just in case you hear some wonky, hey, wait a minute, that guy got traded. Why are you still talking about him? Well, that's why. Uh, Anyway, the podcast here is Doug Maurice, who hasn't been on the pod for a while. He came up with eight questions. It's eight burning questions uh, that Doug throws at Mary Kay, Ashley, Scott, and me, and we try and give him answers. So that's coming up here on the podcast. Now, look, I even had to re-record this intro, so it might sound a little bit different when I tell you about Football Insider right now. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get that daily newsletter delivered to your inbox. Become one of our tech subscribers and get access to those exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns. So again, just go to Cleveland.com slash Browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. All right, Doug, show is yours. Take it away. All right, so I have eight questions for you folks. And uh, I apologize, I have not been able to listen to as many Orange Brown talks in the past two months as I would like. But that's good, because I don't, I don't know anything about what you're going to say. So I have some big picture ones at the end, but some nitty gritty ones. But I'll start with this, because I, I, and I'm very curious about the answers on all of these. I'm not just like throwing stuff out there. How competitive do you think the Browns can be while Jacoby Brissett is their starting quarterback? Well, funny you should ask that question, Doug, because I wrote a whole thing about that last week in one of our key questions for 2022. Uh, It's a really good question because uh, Jacoby Brissett does not really throw the ball downfield. He's not an explosive downfield passer. And this offense is built for that now. That's what Amari Cooper does. That's what Anthony Schwartz does. Uh, That's to a certain extent with the tight ends, Donovan Peoples-Jones. This is an explosive passing attack. That's not really Jacoby's game, but, uh, you know, he's a good game manager. He can, uh, he doesn't throw a ton of interceptions, but he doesn't take a lot of chances. He needs to take more. Um, There'll be a a lot more, I think, underneath game. He does have good mobility. He can stay in the pocket. He's six foot four. um, And those things will help with the great defense that they have. If they get the takeaways that they need to get and not end up whatever it is, 21st or 19th in the NFL and their takeaways is one of those two. Um, and if they utilize their running game and if the offensive line comes back pretty healthy, let's say he's, let's go with the, he starts the whole season scenario. I still think they could win nine, nine or 10 games and make a run at the playoffs. That's my story. And I'm sticking. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I, I think the question is like, how competitive can they be? It's sort of like, okay, which games is he starting, right? Like in those first those first four games at Carolina, New York, Pittsburgh, at Atlanta, the Browns can be competitive in those games. Can they be competitive with the Chargers? 
I don't know, New England. I, I mean, I don't know what New England's going to look like. I mean, you get into the stretch where it's L.A., New England, at Baltimore, Cincinnati, at Miami. What if, like, what if they're good at Buffalo, Tampa? When you get past those first four games, then it starts to be like, all right, can they actually be competitive in that stretch? Um, I certainly think in the first four they can, but I think the longer it goes – the, you know, the more he kind of gets exposed, everybody kind of knows what he's going to do and what it looks like in this offense. I do agree with Mary Kay that he can probably get this team somewhere into that seven to nine win range where you're at least like still in the hunt. You're showing up on the in the hunt graphics at the end of the season. Um, but I, I think that's kind of the ceiling. Yeah, like Mary Kay said, I mean, I have a story at this point and I'm sticking to it. And I think the seven to 10 win range is kind of where I'd fallen. And And like you said, Dan, it's like they're probably in the playoff hunt at that point. They probably are not, I think, like in control of their own destiny. They might need some things to fall their way. Um, But I do think, you know, that I if he does play a whole season, there are some very winnable games because of the way the schedule is set up. Like you said, after the bye, it's kind of a tough stretch that if Deshaun Watson was only suspended for, let's say, half a season, um, they could really benefit from getting him back around that time. But I think just if you have Jacoby Brissett starting the full year, you're not automatically out of the playoffs. And like Mary Kay said, the running game is so strong. They're going to have to rely on that. This defense, I think, is just poised to to kind of win you some games. And I've said it over and over again. I don't think Jacoby Brissett will win you any games necessarily. And you don't really need him to do that. You kind of need these other really solid factors of your team to step up at that point. So Jacoby Brissett played two, like played the majority of two seasons, 2017 and 2019. And 2017 for the Colts, they were four and 12 with him uh, as, as a starter. And the offensive line was horrible. It was just really bad. And the team was bad. It was just a horrible situation. Everything kind of happened last minute. He gets thrown in there and they struggle. 2019, they had one of the best offensive lines in the league. Joe Kobe said didn't exactly light it up. Um, he was like, uh, he was middle of the pack in DVOA, the efficiency metric that kind of compares you to the rest of the league, to the average. And then a PFF passing wise, he was like 30, 30. It was not, it wasn't great, but like everybody said here, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And I think that's the big thing you're plugging him or you're dropping him into a team. That's uh, I would, I would say it's probably the best team he's been a part of as at least as far as dropping him in as a starter. So there's that. Um, and the fact that he doesn't make a lot of mistakes and they would not have gone out and gotten Jacoby Brissett to be the backup to Sean Watson without the belief that he can do a lot of the things they want to do as an offense with Deshaun Watson, right? They're not going to go out and get somebody who they're going to have to go and just switch gears and do something really different. If Deshaun Watson isn't playing for a long time. So I think uh, the signs point in the right directions for him, for the Browns to have success with him. Um, But the bottom line here, I think goes back to what Dan said. If it's, if it's the first four five, six games, I like, I like their chances a lot more than if it's somewhere else in the season Um, who they play, obviously will have a lot to do with it. So this is like a side question to that. It's not one of the ones I wrote down. Baker was six and eight as a starter last year in an eight and nine season. It sounds like, do you think Jacoby Brissett in 2022 will, would be a better quarterback than injured Baker Mayfield was in 2021? I'm going to say yes. My first instinct on that was yes. I mean, there were games they easily should have won last year had Baker made a few more plays when you had a defense 
uh, holding teams to 16 points or fewer on so many occasions, most of, of the games. So I, I'm going to say yes, because I, I just don't think, I think you could have done some different things with him. I don't think he would have thrown, um, you know, four interceptions in Green Bay. Not that they would have won that game, but um, I, I just don't think the the Pittsburgh game in Pittsburgh would have happened quite the way that it did. There were a few other games where he just kind of blew the game. So I'm going to say yes. Yeah, my first instinct was also yes. And like Mary Kay said, the first games that come to mind, Green Bay, the four interceptions um, against the Ravens in Baltimore, you get your defense to intercept Lamar Jackson four times. Like there really was no excuse, I think, at that point to to lose that one. And then even like the Pittsburgh game at home that – Um, the 15 to 10 game that they lost on Halloween, like that game felt like they had a lot of missed opportunities as well. So that's like three off the top of my head right there that were very, very winnable. But I think like had Baker been healthier, like they probably would have won those games or they at least should have. Yeah. I I mean, I think there's two games that that they win if Jacoby is starting over an injured Baker and that's Green Bay and that's the Baltimore game in Baltimore. I think they probably win those two games. If, if Jacoby Brissett is not better than injured Baker Mayfield, then he should just retire. <laughs> I mean, Baker was like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league as an injured Baker Mayfield last year. So mm-hmm. that's a low bar. And I would, th- th- he better be better than that or else the Browns are in some trouble. <laughs> I would just like to say, I appreciate Scott coming in hot in my return here. I'm, I mean, I'm, he was <laughs> anyway, you measure it. Baker Mayfield had a horrible year and uh, yeah, Jacoby Brissett better be better than that. I mean, they, no, he's right. That's what we're talking about. Like, hey, can you just not throw four interceptions on Christmas? Can you just like not do that? Can like, you just that, not get cool. five yeah. passes, <laughs> batted passes. Down and get sacked nine times in a game? I mean, yeah. So yeah, I think he'll be better than that. I think standing there, you know, being able to stand in the pocket at, at the size of six four and, and sort of see what's going on on the field is going to help. I think that was one of the major things that really hurt Baker Mayfield last year was not to be able to do that. And the fact that defenses were on to him and committing somebody on the boots and the rollouts and things like that. So uh, I just think from that standpoint, Jacoby will have his mobility, but he will also be able to stand in the pocket. Pass catchers then. Amari Cooper, David Njoku, Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Bell, Anthony Schwartz, Harrison Bryant. Great group of pass catchers. Good. Average. Not good enough. Like, what are we to think of this group? Well, it's also funny that you should ask this question uh, (laughs) because I just wrote about this yesterday in one of our frequently asked key questions. What they have is an eclectic, eclectic group of pass catchers with one elite multi-pro bowl, four-time pro bowl receiver in Amari Cooper. The rest of it is a collection of good pass catchers. Some, you know, trying to be good. Some, you know, pretty good already uh, that the Browns believe will all be better when Deshaun Watson plays. The operative question here is, what if Deshaun Watson doesn't play the season? Then what do they have? Then you can't expect David Njoku to elevate his game the way everybody expects him to with Deshaun. You can't expect that from Anthony Schwartz. You can't expect Amari Cooper to stretch the field the way that he normally would. So it's the huge, big X factor. I think it was an okay pass catching group um, above average with Deshaun Watson, but still needing one more good quality proven veteran. Now these guys are all really going to have to step up. They'll rely on the running game a lot more, but everybody's going to have to step up 
uh, a little bit more with Jacoby. I'm starting to think that the Browns believe that wide receivers don't matter the way a lot of people in analytics think running backs don't matter. Uh, They have yet to go out and spend big money on a wide receiver. They inherited Amari Cooper's deal. Um, You know, they didn't, didn't re-sign obviously uh, OBJ or or Landry. Um, They got rid of those deals. And I think they look at 2020 and say, look, we didn't have any, I mean, we had, they had OBJ for half a season they had Landry, but you had guys stepping up and playing really well, like Richard Higgins and DPJ and even Kadero Hodge. And they were one of the best, most efficient groups in the league. And they had a ton of success with that group. And until they go out and like really spend money and um, bring in to bring in people that, that can like multiple people that have proven track records. I, I don't know if they really care as much as maybe everybody else does about who exactly out there is out there running patterns. They just want guys who can do it efficiently. And, um, you know, like I said, get that, get the right quarterback and they make people better. I, th- I think Scott makes an, an interesting point there. And I think we're seeing it league wide that teams are starting to make these choices. Um, I mean, who could have seen a year ago that the chiefs are going to just decide not to pay Tyree kill. Like we're, we're just not going to pay you. We're going to trade you to Miami. And then the Titans, we're not going to pay AJ Brown. We're just going to trade him. I mean, DK Metcalf might get traded. Um, we're starting to see some teams. We are starting to see some teams treat the position like running back. Like, you know, well, we're not going to pay you $30 million. We're just going to trade you and we're going to draft somebody. Um, and I do wonder if there's a shift in the league happening kind of across the board. Uh, that being said, Doug, what were our choices for pass for describing the pass catching group? Great, good, average, not good enough. I would, and this uh, collectively, I would say average. I think Amari Cooper is better than that. I think he's good to great. Uh, but I think the group, I mean, basically what Mary Kay is saying is if they have a good quarterback, they're fine. But if they have like an average quarterback or a below it, like they're not very good. And like, so you can't be great if you're that dependent on your quarterback. I mean, you, you just can't be. Um, but what, what would you say the group was in 2020? If like second half of the season, right? Landry, DPJ, Richard Higgins, Kadero Hodge. Was that, were they average? I, I'm assuming most people look at that group and say they were average, but numbers wise and efficiency wise, they were great. So, you know, I think, there are people who have had big numbers with some teams and we, we put them in the great category, but you know, again, a lot of these, a lot of these stats kind of strip away a lot of that noise and show you, okay, yeah, this person isn't making commercials and they're not on sports center all the time, but they are great for their team and that they're getting a lot of first downs and they're catching almost everything thrown to them, which is, you know, what Richard Higgins was very briefly. Yeah. And I mean, like Richard Higgins is fine. Um, but some of that was Baker Mayfield was playing really good football. Like that was just a stretch when Baker was playing really well. I just don't like, again, not to turn this into a David and Joku podcast, <laughs> but my issue with David and Joku has been like, when we talk about him, we're like, well, the quarterback placement terrible. Well, I mean, you know, if you want to be an elite tight end, Travis Kelsey was fantastic with Alex Smith. George Kittle has been fantastic with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like we've seen, you can be a good receiver if your quarterback isn't great. And I don't know outside of Amari Cooper if the Browns have that guy. Now, maybe Njoku is going to take that leap. But after that, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I just, I can't, I think this is an average group with probably a, a good to great receiver and Amari Cooper on it. 
Yeah, I think that's probably fair, Dan. And I think like for me, obviously, the big question continues to be like, can Donovan Peoples-Jones like handle that number two role right now where they basically have them? And and I don't know the answer to that. I think that's one of our frequently asked questions that I'm going to be writing at some point here in the next couple of weeks. Because I think like we haven't seen him really have that opportunity. Like he did a little bit last year, but Baker Mayfield wasn't playing his best. He was kind of used in a role that didn't necessarily suit him. Um, obviously, I don't think Michigan ever used him right when he was in college, but he is one of those former five-star guys who who has all these traits that the Browns have really liked. So it's definitely going to be, I think, an interesting year for him. But when when you're talking about the collective group, I just think overall, like they land somewhere probably between average and good and Amari Cooper, like kind of raises them all up because obviously he's, he's probably the best route runner in the NFL. So when you have a guy like that, like that's great, but it becomes like, God forbid what happens if something, if he gets hurt, if he's out, like, what do you do then? Like is Donovan Peoples-Jones your number one? So that's why I, I agree with Mary Kay. I'm kind of still like, if there's one roster hole on this team that needs to be filled, like, I feel like they're just missing something at the top of that receiver room, like in terms of a veteran presence. Uh, just real briefly, um, just rolling back for a second on the notion of the the trend where uh, the Chiefs can just ship off a Tyreek Hill and you're, and you're seeing some things like this. Uh, I think in some cases, the common denominator there is if you think you have a really elite quarterback, that you don't need the elite receivers that you can make above average receivers look amazing if you have an Aaron Rodgers, a Patrick Mahomes, a Deshaun Watson. I think if you're with, you know, if you have a Tua, then you think you're going to have to have a Tyreek. So I think that's part of what's going on. All right. So most of these questions are about the offense. It seems like the the defense probably be pretty good. So I'm going to stay on the offensive side of the ball. Jed Wills, the nagging injuries last year, Conklin, the big injury, the two starting tackles are, are we to assume they'll be back and healthy and good and they're going to have two good tackles this year? Or are there any concerns about the tackles heading into camp? You know, let me just uh, really quickly jump right in and tell you a couple of things that I've learned in talking to people. They are so excited about how far Jack Conklin has come along to this point. They feel really, really good about where he's at right now. Uh, and uh, and they're looking forward to him starting off training camp, probably on a limited basis and then ramping up. But right now they're very optimistic. The thing about that, I think they need to be cautiously optimistic because even before he had the torn patella that required surgery in December, he had a dislocated elbow. So he's starting to show some signs of wear and tear. And I think you have to be really happy that you've got Chris Hubbard back this season, ready to roll as your swing tackle. And you've got James Hudson a year older and with some reps under his belt. I think they're also very optimistic uh, that they can kind of toss the 2021 season of Jed Wills kind of out the window, not completely, but it was a lost year for him, uh, both emotionally and physically, because playing hurt kind of messed with his head a little bit. So I do think that uh, that they're very eager to see what he can do, and they think he's going to bounce back. So I do have a couple concerns, kind of like based on what Mary Kay outlined there, right? Like it's this question of, are these injuries piling up on Jack Conklin or has he like been able to overcome this? But also like Chris Hubbard, I think is a really sort of underrated addition they're getting back, but he's ended the last couple of years on the IR too. Like he, he's coming back off of 
an injury himself that caused him to miss the whole season. So I do wonder about that and their depth there. And then with Jed Wills, it's it's not so much the injuries, but it is that mental part. And we kind of heard things were like, okay, it becomes how much that you're you're kind of questioning his effort, I guess, in, in a lot of ways that you're like, huh, like that's, those are some interesting comments. Like we heard from Wyatt Teller at the end of the year that seemed to kind of be alluding to that. Joe Thomas, when he talked to Mary Kay and Dan on this podcast, seemed to kind of be alluding to something similar. So that for me, I think is the big question. And just like what Mary Kay said, what's he going to look like mentally, I think is so big coming into this season for him. Yeah. I mean, this is a big year for Jed. He's, you know, I thought he was fine his rookie year last year, obviously with the injuries and uh, everyone, I, I thought it was really telling on top of everything Ashley said that when he was playing through the injury, like everyone that we talked to just went out of their way to talk to like praise him effusively. It was like he was four years old or something like that. Like, oh, Jed, good for you, buddy. But, um, you know, I'm still confident that Jed can be a good left tackle. And if Jack Conklin is healthy, he's one of the best right tackles in the game. I mean, a couple of years ago, we were talking about, is it him or Joel Batonio as, as the best offensive lineman on this team? So um, cautiously optimistic about the tackles. There's some ifs there, but I, I think those ifs have a good chance of hitting. I mean, this feels like it could be a tipping point year. They could go either way because two years ago, this was the best offensive line in football, pretty much. And uh, then you go through the injuries last year and, so much depends on how well these tackles come back. Um, if if Jack Conklin struggles, and he doesn't have to play to his all-pro level that he did two years ago, but um, if he comes back and struggles, if Jed Wills uh, is, is having issues again, then suddenly, you know, the middle of that line with Nick Harris and the, the questions around him become magnified because now you have... Please don't guys... jump ahead on questions, Scott. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> But you're saying that, you know, you got you know, the outsides have questions and now it's the majority of the line. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, they have like the track record is there to make you believe that they can get back to being one of the best again. But, you know, it it hinges on how well these guys come back from injury. And, you know, and now you're adding uh, if Deshaun Watson does play the bulk of this season, you're adding a quarterback who uh, creates a lot of his own sacks. Because he is mobile. I mean, mobile quarterbacks do that. Patrick Mahomes creates a lot of his own sacks. Um, so you add that into it and learning how to block for a guy like that. Um, so we'll see. A lot of work to be done during training camp. There's something that keeps sticking in my head. Uh, and I'm sure it's a backup, backup plan. But I just can't get it out of my mind that Stump Mitchell effusively praised Joel Batonio's stint at left tackle last season. Uh, during an interview when he came back to the team from from some procedures. Uh, so I think they have that in their back pocket if they need it. I think that's all it is. I really do believe uh, that Jed Wills is their left tackle of the present and the future, but they've got something they can go to if they need to. All right, so on the offensive line then, at center, the center I don't think has to be as good as J.C. Treader, but will they be fine or – is it possible they're not fine at center? And are you pretty sure it'll be Nick Harris? Or do you think Ethan Pozik has a real chance to be the starter instead? Ashley, you're the Nick guy. <laughs> I do think Nick Harris is going to be the guy from everything we've seen so far. Now, granted, like in OTAs and, and minicamp and things like that, when these guys aren't in full contact yet, it's hard to gauge. But 
he just seems to be the guy and he's younger. I think they worked these last few years on developing him. Um, he did look good in that Green Bay game, but Doug, I know how you are about small sample sizes. And this is like maybe the smallest sample size we have when we're trying to gauge something like this. But I do kind of think that the coaches and things like that, like they've been privy to kind of what he has done these last couple of years. And, and there's a reason they went this route. So I think you're kind of hitting the nail on the head. Like he's not going to be JC Treader. And obviously that center position becomes it, it just overall is really underrated, but it becomes really important when you know, you don't have a good one. Right. So I do think like there's going to be a lot of pressure on Nick Harris, but based on how he performed in that game, when we saw him, like, even though he's young, you kind of got to throw those guys in there at some point. So it, it's understandable, I think, why they went this route with him and, and want to give him a chance now. Everything is kind of set up for Nick Harris to be successful. And like Ashley said, I mean, nobody knows more about Nick Harris than the Cleveland Browns, than Kevin Stefanski and Bill Callahan and all, the, all those coaches that have been working with him the last two years. Uh, but he's got two elite guards around him. He's got you know, two smart running backs that, that know what they're seeing, that have good vision. Um, he's, he's in a system that is friendly to offensive linemen and that seems to, you know, they drafted him to fit into this system and he's got one of the best offensive line coaches in the game. So everything is kind of set up for Nick Harris to succeed. And this is sort of a, this is kind of a test of the system a little bit. Like you drafted this guy, you developed him, and now you're, you're doing exactly what your plan was with him. And you know, let's, let's see how it goes. Let, let's see how this structure worked out. Yeah. This is one area where I'm just kind of believing the Browns that they know what they're doing. Um, I mean, when I was paying attention to the centers, he was the guy getting first team reps during the offseason workouts. Um, you know, they go out and they get a veteran, they draft somebody. So they have backup plans. Um, and like everybody said, it's not based off one game. It's based off what they see all the time. And remember he was, I mean, he was put right in with first team reps last year when JC Treader uh, was missing time at camp. So, you know, and that was, uh, I believe that was against the, when they were practicing against the giants as well. Um, so he, you know, if they believe that he's the guy, then, then great. And I, the other thing is it doesn't just come down to protection. It's, I mean, JC Treader pulled as much as anybody they like to get their center, you know, along with Batonia or why Teller out running in front of people. So, um, he's an athletic guy, at least again, from what we've seen. So, I'm going to go ahead and believe they know what they're doing here. And, but again, like I said before, if the tackles are having issues, then you start looking at that center and you're like, man, it, he, he really needs to play better than I think people expected him to, to make up for this issue on the outside. It's there's just a lot of question marks here. You know, I know they think that, um, that Nick Harris is the guy they really like him. They're really, really excited about him. They loved what they saw of him throughout the spring uh, and as you guys mentioned, the athleticism is the main reason why they believe that he's a fit. I mean, he can move and pull and do all those things. And he demonstrated that in the Green Bay game. They love that about him. Um, and the other thing is that um, he will have two pretty elusive quarterbacks uh, that he'll be playing with. So uh, these guys can, you know, these guys can slip out of trouble. They can step up. They can go to the side. They can they can move around a little bit. And as Scott mentioned, sometimes they invite sacks that way and that, you know, that is going to happen. But by the same to token, they should be able to avoid a number of them uh, and cover up for maybe some of Nick's, you know, early deficiencies or foibles. 
Uh, but he he is definitely who they have in mind there, even though they they brought in Ethan Posich. Uh, Nick Harris is definitely slated to be the guy and it's his job to lose. As far as uh, scrambling and stuff, Deshaun Watson has been one of the best quarterbacks in the league uh, on broken plays. So, yeah, he does run himself into a lot of sacks, but he creates a lot of big, big plays when when things kind of go off the rails. I mean, but that that this is one of the areas that you kind of circle and you're like, uh, OK, I, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens if something goes wrong. This is an area where maybe it, it could go wrong. Uh, you know, when Nick started at guard, it didn't go great. It seems like everything was fine when he started at center against Green Bay, but that was only one game. Um, you know, as teams go against him and, and figure him out and, it, you know, is that size going to be an issue? I know he's added some weight, but he's still not like the biggest guy. And JC Treader was really good. I, you know, I, I think he was a guy that probably should have been voted onto a couple pro bowl teams. I, I think he was that good of a player and he's a smart guy and he knew exactly what he was seeing and looking at and, and all of that. So if if there's an area where there could be a step back, you know, I mean, you gave up a really good player and, and handed the keys to Nick Harris and it might work, but you know, this is one area where you kind of circle and just kind of hope it doesn't go badly that the Browns did read this correctly. I actually think that the, the whole union don't come to the off season program thing. Uh, I think that did factor into J.C. Treader not being here. He was so adamant about that. And you could see that once he was gone, that offense showed up almost en masse for the offseason program. And that was so important to Kevin Stefanski this year. So I think when they threw all that into the hopper, uh, Nick came out on top. Yeah, and I think, too, like, it's. I mean, J.C. Treader is still a free agent. Like, we got through this voluntary portion of the offseason, and no one picked him up during that. So I do think maybe there is some where there's smoke, there's fire, if you will, a little mm-hmm. bit with that. If, you, if you're a Browns fan, you're concerned about Nick Harris starting <laughs> right now in year three. J.C. Treader didn't become a full-time starter until year three with the Packers. And then the next year, he, he came to the Browns and, you know, didn't miss a game, so... And this is the Packer. I mean, if you're going to follow a model, the Packers model is a good one where you draft and develop and you replace guys. And this is, I mean, this is the Packers model. They've done this with three, three centers now. I mean, that's why JC Treaders in Cleveland, because they had a guy that they drafted that they were ready to replace him with. Is that going to be a thing? Like if JC Treader, who has been a borderline pro bowl center remains a free agent because he was a very strong advocate for the players as the union president, and he gets blackballed and nobody signs him. That seems like a big deal, right? If that happens. Yeah, it, it is a big deal, but I do think it's been a factor. I, I do think it, it has been a factor. Um, I think he'll end up starting somewhere this season. I think uh, from a talent standpoint, he certainly deserves a starting center job in the NFL. Uh, and it would, it wouldn't really be fair for people to completely hold that against him when he's out there. Uh, trying to do his voluntary service for the for the NFL, uh, but but I think that it is at least in the back of teams' minds. Why, yeah, why I mean, sign JC Treader in the offseason when you know he wasn't going to be there anyways? <laughs> you might as well just wait till before training camp to and sign he, him, and he might not even practice in training camp. So. Yeah, listen, when we do our center draft, um, JC Treader will be among the top thirty-two centers <laughs> in the league. I don't know. Some, somebody out there has to sign the guy. Like he's yes. he's still got it. He really does. All right, last offensive question, wrapping this all together. How different or similar will Kevin Stefanski's play calling look compared to his first two seasons with this offense? And I guess 
I guess I mean that probably when Deshaun Watson is the quarterback, but I don't know if Deshaun Watson's not going to be the quarterback the whole year, then maybe I mean it with Jacoby Brissett as well. But will it look like what we've come to know as a Kevin Stefanski offense, or will it be really different? Scott, you've been studying this a lot in detail from an analytics standpoint. <laughs> I still think they're going to be among the leaders in rushing attempts, um, especially if Watson plays a lot, because again, him taking off is going to add to that. Um, but just design runs in general, I still think, I don't think that's going to change. It's going to be less 13 personnel. It's going to be a lot of 12, two tight end looks. That's uh, one of the things that Deshaun Watson uh, performed well with when he was with the Texans. And it's something the Browns have done uh, a lot of over the past couple of years. It makes sense for them to keep that. Um, looking at their tight end death chart, it makes sense for them to keep doing that. So I don't, I don't see that changing a lot that uh that ratio of run to pass um i think that the basics of it should stay the same um but there certainly does seem to be an expectation that there'll be more receivers on the field more often um now whether that leads to more passing who knows um but i don't i'm not ready to say that this is going to be like like the Raiders or something where, uh, or, or even the Cowboys, um, where you're, where you're passing a lot more, it's going to be things that are noticeable, but I think when you stand back and take a look at it, it's going to be things that have changed from within the scheme that was already there. I think it's the answer is there's two different answers. There, there are two different answers. I think that, uh, if Deshaun Watson is back there, completely different, explosive downfield passing game and just, an upgraded 2022 caliber passing game that can hang with all the really good quarterbacks in the NFL, especially the ones in the AFC. Uh, if it's Jacoby Brissett, I think you really have to dial that back a lot and you'll see a lot more of what you saw in the first two years of under Kevin Stefanski with a ton of running, a lot of tight ends, more 12, maybe some 13 personnel, uh, I think they will revert to some of that and then add in some of the things that Jacoby will do well, extending plays, using his legs, some called runs, different things like that. Uh, but I think it's just two different worlds with two different quarterbacks. I, you know, I, I think the run game is still going to be a big part of, of what they do. You know, marrying that run and pass is what they all talk about and making runs look like passes and passes look like runs and all of that. And the, look, the reality is you still have Nick Chubb, right? And there's there's this segment of football Twitter that gets mad anytime you run the football, but like if you have Nick Chubb or Derrick Henry or you know whoever, like it's okay to just sort of run the football if they're breaking off big plays. Um, he's he's one of those rare backs that can give you a big play at any moment. Um, so I, I think they will still run the football a good amount, but you know the passing game. I'm really curious to see what it looks like with Deshaun because I think we're going to see them do some interesting things with their running backs and their tight ends. And um, so I, you know, I think we'll still see a fair amount of 12 personnel, but we might see a lot of passing out of it. And we might see Kareem Hunt get a lot of targets. We might even see Nick Chubb's targets increase. You know, Demetric Felton. What's he going to do? You know, Scott, what position is Demetric Felton? <laughs> we'll talk mm -hmm. about that a lot. But I. I think it's, it has the potential to be a very interesting offense um, that, that maybe looks similar in some ways if you have two backs on the field or two tight ends, but also they, they deploy those packages a little bit differently. 
Yeah, I agree, Dan. And I think too, just the prospect of more designed runs for Deshaun Watson with if he's playing, which um, he scrambled a lot in Houston, like they didn't necessarily have those design plays for him. So that's one factor. Um, and then just for me, I mean, it's obviously probably less 13 personnel, considering they don't even know who their third tight end is. Technically, it's as wide open of a position battle as you can get. Um, and less of those, like Doug likes to say, five and six yard passes to tight ends and more downfield vertical type plays because you've got guys in theory who, well, if Deshaun Watson playing, who who can really do that. And I think, again, with Jacoby Brissett, it looks a little different. He's not exactly the same in that regard, but there are some similarities. And especially like Mary Kay said earlier, the way he can manage a game, um, I think you would rely really heavily on those design front plays and, and everything like that. So it'll look, I think, a lot different than what we saw last year. But with last year, I always go back to like how much of that was Kevin Stefanski just not trusting Baker Mayfield with that injury when the offense got kind of boring. And I think that was a big part of it. I think it's important to remember that Sean Watson's like downfield passing, like 20 yards in the air downfield or more has really fluctuated in his career in 2019, him and Baker were both, I think they were close to the top five um, in attempts 2020. Um, Deshaun Watson was ninth, but he only had like 10 more downfield attempts than Baker Mayfield had. Uh, so he hasn't been like up there with Tom Brady and, and like Aaron Rodgers, like the guys who are really throwing it down more than everybody else. Um, not that that couldn't change with the Browns, but um, they have kind of flip-flopped a little bit uh, as their careers have overlapped Baker and Deshaun. So it isn't a given that um, there's just going to be more downfield passing. I think what you can count on is they're going to be more completed downfield mm-hmm. passes. Cause that's something that Sean Watson is definitely good at. Yeah, I found out when I was doing um, the Jacoby comparison is that Jacoby, who's somewhere in the six, I don't know, six, 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 eight career yards per attempt. Deshaun is third in the NFL in that category in NFL history behind Hall of Famers autogram of the Browns and Sid Sid Luckman of the Bears. So he's number three in in NFL history. I thought that was kind of remarkable. I like the idea of they may not throw it down the field that much more, but they will complete passes down the field a lot more. It's like, oh, I'll go on that. Yeah. The, the Browns were excellent in the past at in the past at trying to throw down the field. Now, executing it, not so good, but they were good at trying. They got an A for effort. A for effort. All right. That's it. That's it for the offensive side of the ball for my question. Defensive side of the ball. Defensive tackles. Who will be the best one? How good will they be? And does it matter? And if the answer, if the answer to the third part of that question is no, it doesn't matter, then maybe you can pass on the first two parts of that question. So best one, how good will they be? And, and does it, it matter? Does it matter how good they are? Can okay. I make the case for it mattering at least a little bit? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, so I don't, think it's a position that you unless you have Aaron Donald or Cam Hayward or an elite defensive tackle I don't think it's a position that you paid tons of money for right like Sheldon Richardson was way, was making way too much money for that position right and I think the Browns have made it clear they don't want to spend I do think it matters though to the extent and I, I so I listen to Chris Long's podcast all the time right and 
he's talked about this with some defensive ends. He's had Yannick and Gakwe on um, and, and some other still in the league defense vents. And they all talk about having a defensive tackle next to them and how much that helps having a good defensive tackle that can create pressure more so than having another defensive end. So I think in that sense, if you can find a defensive tackle and maybe that's Perry on Winfrey, maybe that's somebody else. I don't think it has to be somebody that makes $15 million. If you can find a defensive tackle to line up next to miles Garrett and create pressure up the middle, I think that makes Miles Garrett a better player. So that's the case I would make for it mattering. But that doesn't mean that you have to spend, you know, 10 to $15 million on a player there, unless it's, you know, an absolute stud. You know, I, I have a gut feeling that that Perry on Winfrey is just kind of waiting in the weeds now and kind of just laying back and he's going to work hard and eventually work him self into the the starting lineup at some point this season and because of what he can do from a uh, pass rushing standpoint I actually think he does have a chance to be the best one I mean they've got some other solid guys in there the starters right now are Taven Bryan Jordan Elliott who they're very high on um, but I think Perion Winfrey has the flashiest skill set and can do what they want him to do in terms of rushing the passer and getting that middle pressure if he can do that like Dan said, I think it, it is going to matter. I think it will make an impact because if you try to get away from, uh, you know, if you try to get away from the tackles, you're, you're going to end up with Perry on Winfrey in your face too. So uh, I do think it helps a lot if it works out the way that they're expecting it to. Um, and I think they can be uh, above average if Perry on turns out to be what they hope he can be. And Mary Kay, it was interesting too, to hear, Greg Newsom, who's Perry and Winfrey's buddy, sort of yeah. say that he thinks Miles Garrett could have his best season ever, right. basically, if if that guy performs the way we think he's going to be able to. And it's exactly what you you laid out was his reasoning, basically, that if he can create that pressure as well, it's like kind of a pick your poison along that that defensive line for opposing teams. Yeah, and it matches up with what um, with what Chris Long was saying and, and Dan heard on the podcast that. Uh, there is a lot to be said for having that guy uh, in there next to you that can do that kind of stuff. And they're, and they're so versatile. I mean, you can move any of those guys inside too. And so that's why I don't think they felt like they needed to go out and spend money on this. I still would advocate Sheldon Richardson coming back. I think he'd be good for the room. I think he'd be good for Miles Garrett. I think he'd be good for Perry on Winfrey and all those guys. Um, but I think that they feel pretty good about what they have now based on how they can mix and match their D linemen. Yeah. I mean, it could, it could be like Alex, Wright, You know, uh, on third downs or, so, or something mm -hmm. there, there's ways to do it, but I do think that whoever's playing in that three technique really does help the end that's next to them. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Why do we you knew I was going to be the person to say that, right? Uh, like defensive tackle is at the bottom of the list on, positions that impact winning and losing and having said that though um the browns have drafted a defensive tackle in the fourth round or earlier the last three years uh every year andrew barry's been here and drafted he's he's taken somebody and again that goes back to like what dan was alluding to you want to hit on that guy you don't want to have to pay that guy in free agency it's what the browns did last year they tried to piece it together um young guys who haven't done anything old guys are a little bit past their prime 
Um, but if you can hit on that guy and you find the next Aaron Donald or whoever, um, the next Cam Hayward, um, and specifically guys who create pressure, not stop the run, but guys who create pressure, well, then that's great. That's like, that's the bullseye. That's what you want. And that's what they're hoping they found with Perry and Winfrey, because that's who he's really good at doing in college is creating pressure, not so much against the run. Um, there's a school of thought that that says uh, teams would rather convince an opponent that, yeah, we're really, they're really bad against the run. We should run it because that's so less efficient. They would rather a team try to run against them than try to pass, obviously, because you're going to get more yards passing. Um, so that 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 way of thinking says, well, then they're right on track with getting a bunch of people who maybe really haven't done anything in this league and they're just putting them in there at that defensive tackle and they'll do it, you know, they'll do with that what they can. Um, but I think at the end of the day, they want to find guys in the middle who can create pressure. That's why Malik McDowell was enticing to them because he could do that. Even though uh, Miles Garrett had a great year last year, even though Jadavian Clowney had uh, kind of a, a resurrected year as far as pressure goes, the Browns were still 17th in pressure rate um, as an, as a defense. And I'm sure they want to get a lot better than that um, and make those sacks and make the ability of the guys on the outside matter more. And the only way to do that is to get more from the two middle guys. So right now it's Elliot and Taven Bryan. I, I don't know if that duo is going to do much in, in the pass rush side of things, but you know, something they got to figure out in, in training camp. But I think at the end of the day, they don't, they don't care. They they hope. <laughs> and, you know, I'm also very curious to see what Jordan Elliott is going to be bringing to the table this year, because I mean, when I talked to Chris Kiffin, the defensive line coach at, uh, at OTAs, he said the guy he's most excited about this spring has been Jordan Elliott. And I think he was talking about the defense defensive tackles specifically at that moment. And I forgot to ask that follow-up question. And it reminded me of a, a journalism professor that said, get the name of the dog. You got to get the name of the dog, <laughs> but <laughs> I didn't get the name of the dog, but anyways, I think he was talking about defensive tackles. Um, and, but he's most excited about Jordan Elliott, which that's pretty high praise. And, um, and so now I'm curious, like, what's he going to do that, you know, that's making him look so good. So we have to keep an eye on him. He had four sacks his last year in college. So, um, they didn't draft him apparently to, to get pressure. That's why, that's why I think you look at Perry and Winfrey and you think, well, they're like, it's there for the taking. If you can do the kind of things you did in college, there, there's a spot there for him. And that concludes the defensive portion of my questions. <laughs> I have two big picture questions to end with. One is, and, and include Deshaun Watson in this, how close is this to a Super Bowl roster? It's a Super Bowl roster. It is definitely a Super Bowl roster, in, in my opinion. I mean, I don't think that it really can get much better than, than this across the board in the league. When you stack this Cleveland Browns roster up to everybody else's position by position, you're looking at some of the best defensive tackles. Now you've got a premier linebacker in JOK. Your secondary certainly should be right up there with some of the best in the NFL. They need to pick it up. And I say this all the time, get some takeaways, fellas, it's time. Get some interceptions or some fumbles, get some more big plays. But certainly they have the talent to do all that. Offensive side of the ball, Deshaun, right up there, top five quarterback. Uh, you know, your, your pass catchers, not all elite, but one elite. 
and then a, a, an eclectic group of guys that can get the job done with potentially some really high upside for, for David Bell, two of the best running backs in the NFL, uh, and a good offense, a really good offensive line if they're healthy this year. So I think it's, I think it's a Super Bowl caliber roster. I think that's why they did what they did. I think they're in the prime of their career. Uh, I think the moment is now if they can get to Sean on the field and they, they need to get him uh, playing for them in a hurry if they want to get where they want to go. Yeah, the Bengals you know, were a Super Bowl roster last year and they, the Browns were better than them last year and they're, they're still better than them roster wise. So, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, because, and they better be quite honestly, because if, if you don't think that if you're the Browns and you don't think that adding Deshaun Watson makes you a Super Bowl roster, then why do you go out and do this? And that's a very, you know, I recognize that's a very cynical way of looking at this, but those kind of quarterbacks do not come available very often. And I think that when the Browns made this decision, realized it was kind of now because like Mary Kay said, all of the pieces laid out and that they would weather a suspension and a PR storm that has been swirling around them for months now. And if that guy you don't think can get you to a Super Bowl, there's no reason to go out and make a move like that. Yeah, uh, that, Ashley, and also just on top of, you know, you've been handing out money now, right? Like you've paid Mm -hmm. a bunch of guys. Uh, You know, you've paid Nick Chubb and Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller and Denzel Ward. Um, Did I say Miles Garrett already? You paid Deshaun Watson. Um, You're starting to hand out contracts. And if you're starting to pay that much money, you know, you better have a roster that that matches what you're paying. And I, I looked this up. So PFF put out their best rosters. And I think I kind of agree with, with the way. So they have Buffalo number one, Tampa number two, the Chargers number three. I could maybe argue the Chargers could be number one. Um, LA number four, the Rams. Uh, Green Bay five. Eh, maybe they're a little lower. And then they have the Browns at number six. Um, so I, you know, I I think that's about right. They have Mm -hmm. a top five to eight roster in the league. And that's, and with this quarterback, if he plays, that's a Super Bowl roster. And we all know it takes more than that. We all know that we've seen Super Bowl rosters, uh, before, you know, not even make the playoffs. So (laughs) the the Chargers last year. (laughs) I mean, right. the Chargers had a great roster last year, too, and they right. didn't even make the playoffs. You need a lot more than that. You need health. You need luck. You need good play calling. You need good coaching. You need team chemistry. You need all of those things. Can I predict what the next question is going to be? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do the yeah. Browns have a Super Bowl coach? Oh, no, no, it's not. That's a good. Well, oh, I'll well that maybe, maybe we should maybe we should ask that one, though. <laughs> that feels like uh, that feels like its own podcast, possibly. Because yeah. I think there's like <laughs> yeah. like when 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 Mary Kay brought up the chemistry, um, that spurred another question of like, do we think the chemistry will be good enough? But that's not my question. My last question is this: If the Browns could do it over again, would they acquire Deshaun Watson if they could go back in time with what's happened, what they've learned since then, what they think the suspension is going to wind up being? The 230 million guaranteed, would they do it again? I think at this moment, the answer to that is yes, unequivocally yes. I think they knew that it was going to be really difficult in the beginning. They knew that they were going to be taking a lot of PR hits and that they were not going to be winning early on in the court of public opinion. And I think they really strongly felt 
that once they got over this really rough patch and got to football, that some of this would, or a lot of this would kind of take a backseat to the good football, potentially even the Super Bowl or multiple Super Bowls. So at this moment, I am going to say absolutely 100% yes. I was just going to say, I second what Mary Kay said, that this is, again, and it goes back to my earlier point, it sounds so cynical to say it out loud, but, and you can, you know, have your own opinions, I think, on whether that's a morally right decision that they made, but Mm -hmm. this is why they made it. Like, it was because they thought it gets them over the hump. And, And like Mary Kay said, I think even if this year is a wash for them and he doesn't play at all, they have him for, you know, all the years after that. This is a five-year contract. So I think that they knew this, some version of this was coming, this storm that has been swirling around them ever since March when they acquired him. And and I think that all went into the decision-making and it just was not as much of a factor as what he can do on the field. And again, what you think about that is, is a separate issue, but I think that's what they were thinking when they made this decision. I think this is really hard to answer without knowing the suspension. Um, because I think even though it is a long-term proposition, right? It's a five-year contract, fully guaranteed. It's him talking about ending his career in Cleveland. I do think losing a year has to be factored in. And, and what that does to him as the as a player what that does to this football team if they lose if they just basically have to throw away a season when they've already thrown away i mean you could argue they've thrown away a couple of years already um can i answer your question with a question doug i'll allow it <laughs> if the new york times story about the 66 women in 17 months comes out on march when did the trade go down march it was like around St. Patrick's Day. If that comes out on March 15th, do we think the Browns would still have made this trade? I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. yes. I'm going to say it's, yes. It's, it's, that isn't 66 assaults. That's right. That's how they would look at it. It's, it's you know, 22 or whatever it was, 24 at that point. Um, I, I don't think that changes. And, I, and I'm on the... I'm on the side here that says that, yeah, they would have done it because again, you knew people would be upset. You knew that he was going to be suspended this year. I mean, I don't think they're naive enough to think that let's do this. And I think, I, I think we got a really good feeling. He's going to play most of the games. I don't think they went into the season like that at all. Mm-hmm. And well, I, I don't think I don't they felt, happening. I don't think they felt he was going to be suspended for a year. No, I, I think they could have made it maybe would have said six to eight games. Mm-hmm. I don't think a year was on the table when they made the trade. But again, this is if you're thinking long term. They signed them to a long term contract. One year or half a year isn't going to change that. I just I think they still go through it. I, again, this is a they make contingency plans for contingency plans, and they had to have talked a lot of this out. Um, I just. I know when you're going through it and stories come out and there's a, you know, they had a couple more lawsuits and they're talking about adding a couple more lawsuits. And when you're going through that, it seems like all this stuff is happening, but in the big picture, not a ton of new stuff has happened Mm -hmm. since they actually went and, and, and traded for him. 
there's been a lot of time and things have been kind of spread out. And there was a the weeks during OTAs where it was in the news. But um, at the end of the day, it's he settled the majority of these now. I just I think if they they look at where they are right now, I think they still say, yeah, we, we still go ahead and do it. I agree. And I mean, I think the turning point was, and, and you saw this around the league. It wasn't just the Browns, right? There were four teams that were in hot pursuit after, after Deshaun Watson. And the turning point was no criminal charges filed by that grand jury. And that was when the floodgates opened. So I think even if the New York Times thing came out, and again, when that dropped, it was, it was shocking. I think to read that number, what it was, 66 in a 17-month period, but I think the Browns had their minds made up that this was the guy that was standing, you know, between them and getting that Super Bowl. And I think at that point they put the blinders on and were all in. I mean, this was a desperate, this was a desperate move. This was a desperate move by by a front office and a coaching staff that didn't want to have Baker Mayfield as their quarterback again. And they knew they had a chance to get Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. So and, and they did it with a grand jury still on the table. I mean, a week later, there was another grand jury. So, yeah, I mean, I think they probably would still do it again. Um, it, and, you know, I, I think that kind of tells us. And, and the other thing, too, with the year suspension, we can spin the contract however we want. But the contract is what it is. And certainly there are salary cap implications that they were thinking about. But, but let's not. Let's not give the team the trade for Deshaun Watson too much credit here. I mean, there was there's some suspension thoughts in that contract too. I think that's a fair criticism. So yes, I think they would have made the trading. Yeah, and I, I think you know if you ask this question again after this season, once we know you know what happens. I mean, if he misses this entire season and then more lawsuits are piling up and there's a criminal charge, then obviously they will, they could possibly end up regretting it. But at this moment in time, nothing has happened to make them wish they didn't do this. Although maybe I'm wrong. It is on, it would be unprecedented for a player to not play for two years and come back and be one of the best quarterbacks in football, right? Am I missing somebody? Am I forgetting about someone? I don't think it's happened like that, Dan. No, you're right. It would be unprecedented. It would be Michael Jordan in basketball. Yeah. (laughs) And we go back to Mary Kay's quote from Dabo. Um, (laughs) So the the thing that I wonder about, because I think there's two things here. One is the idea of if they really didn't think it was going to be a year and it's a year, that is, that affects the equation, right? I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know that any of us, when they made the trade, I don't know that anybody was talking about what if he suspended for a whole year. Right. And now we are talking that way. So that has shifted. I don't know that it's changed, but the perception has shifted. A year is a big deal. And then the other thing is I, I sort of have in my head that I'm not sure they knew everything and they knew what Deshaun told them and they knew what, like, you know, Deshaun's friends and coaches and family and the people around him told them. I wonder when that New York's time story came out. It's like, what? 60 plus times? I mean, it, it, do you have questions about the person that you're doing business with that you think we investigated this and we think we have a handle on it? Is there anything that's popped up that's made them think? Because there's, there's what's 
decided in a court of law and there's what changes your perception of the guy who's in your building and the guy that you're giving $230 million to and the guy that's a face of your franchise. Is there anything that's changed that's made you think, man, I don't know. Is, is this the guy we should have banked on? And so I wonder if you just go back, if they go back and say, you know what? We knew it was a risk. Now it feels like a 20% bigger risk than we realized with the suspension and maybe we have more questions about it. You know what? We maybe just should have bailed and traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I just, those are the two things that I wonder about. Well, you know, one of the things that I think has changed since the Browns made this trade, and of course, everything happened really, really fast. And they did not have the luxury of time on their side once the grand jury declined to indict him. The teams were in the sweepstakes. If you wanted to get him, you had to make a deal. You had to make it fast and you had to pay up big. And they were shocked, I think, and surprised to actually get him. But one of the major things that I think has changed since then is how they probably feel about what he needs to do to get himself right. I think there is now an overarching feeling that Deshaun Watson, in some way, shape or form, really does need to work on himself Work, go to counseling, make some restitution, work with women's groups. I think they may have underestimated that part of it. I think when they look at the things that have come out, the lawsuits, I think now there is more a sense of, okay, maybe he did not commit criminal acts, but there's something going on here that requires an intervention and a pretty major one. So I think that's where the paradigm shift has taken place in the Browns realizing, okay, we have to deal with this maybe a little bit more thoroughly and aggressively than we originally thought. I, I also think too, um, and again, this is all kind of a, a moot point if this is like a six or eight game suspension. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I guess I, I talk about this in the, in the framework of the NFL gets what they want. Um, and he's out for the entire season. I think it's easy here on July 6th to talk about the big picture, but when you're in a season and you're grinding through a season and we're talking to Miles Garrett every single week and he's going through this again where it's like, we held that team 13 points and lost. That that builds up in within a season and there's a lot of tension that can build up within a season and a lot of frustration that can build up within a season. So I think it's easy to talk about the big picture now, but they're going to have to do a lot of, if, if he gets that year suspension, they're going to have to really manage a lot of, you know, put out a lot of fires and manage a lot of things within that season. Um, because you're a lot of those frustrations that boiled up last year are going to start to boil up again. Um, so, mm-hmm. so they're just, they're going to have to deal with that because these guys in week nine aren't going to be thinking about three years down the road. Mm-hmm. Ask right. Miles Garrett, which quarterback they should have gone out and gotten, who's going to get them uh, consistent points. I mean, I, you can't bank on Jimmy Garoppolo being that guy. Certainly couldn't bake on Baker being that guy. I don't know. Like Mary Kay said, they're, well, they didn't I, have a, but, a big window to to get that done. But but I will say, the beginning of discussion of the discussion was Baker injured Baker Mayfield last year was awful. Jacoby Brissett, who's below average as a starting quarterback at best, might win nine or ten games, mm-hmm. and then you think like, well, J- Jimmy Garoppolo 
couldn't have, you know, like with how good this def- this defense is supposed to be and how good the offensive line. Like, I do think there's some of this where, you know, as we said, when we did the quarterback draft back many moons ago, it was like, hey, you know, or, or when we did the roster thing, it was like, hey, if they had Deshaun Watson, I think they're the third best team in the league. And if they had still had Baker Mayfield, I thought they were the 18th best team in the league. You know, I think I that's where I was. And I think we're all in a similar vein. But again, I, almost I think the the worse you think Baker was last year, then the more attractive just a decent quarterback becomes because then it's like, well, Jimmy Garoppolo, well, he's still a big jump over injured Baker Mayfield. Right. And so then it's like, well, then why do you have to give $230 million to a guy who had 66 massages in 17 months? You know what I mean? So I do think there's a little bit of disconnect there, but I was out for two months. I was doing Ohio state stuff because Nathan Baird was on paternity leave. And I just disconnected myself from the Browns to zero in on Ohio state. And now I'm caught up. So thanks everybody. Mm-hmm. We did two months in an hour. That's fantastic. Our pleasure. <laughs> great, great work, Doug. <laughs> those were those were Doug Lamarice's burning questions here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All right, that'll do it. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen to your pods, and make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber. Cleveland.com/slash Browns Blue Banner at the top of the page. Doug, great questions. Mary Kay, enjoy London. Ashley and Scott, I'll talk to you later.